And then the rest of us, we can turn to First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. And today we will finally conclude our study of this epistle. I hope, I really hope this study, you know, even though it's been going on for a long time, and I've mentioned this a few times as I've been going through this, but I, I really do hope it's been a blessing to you, because it really has been a blessing to me, um, you know, um, studying all these things and then presenting uh, what I've learned to you. And um, as we've been going through this, we see, we've seen that Peter is giving us some very practical exhortations, things that we can apply in our lives immediately. And I hope that you've started to implement these things in your life, you know, as we've been going through this. Because that's really the point of what we're doing here this morning, isn't it? You know, it's not just to sit here and fill a seat and, you know, sort of soothe our conscience as at least I've been to church, you know, at least I'm better than that guy that didn't go to church, you know, that kind of thing. That's not the point of it. The point is here that we're studying the Bible, we want to get to know the Lord better, we want to love Him more, we want to serve Him by applying what we've learned from His Word. That's, that's why we are here, that's why we are doing these things. And so I really hope you make an effort this morning and from here on forward to remind yourself of what you've learned, to remind yourself to, to, to put in an effort to implement the things that you learn, to apply it in your life. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of um, teaching through this epistle now for the past, you won't believe this, six years. <laughs> it's been six years. Uh, that's, that's crazy. You know, my youngest son wasn't even born back then, <laughs> to give you an idea. Um, ben, my oldest son, he was two years old back then. All right, he's turning eight next month. So that gives you an idea of how fast time goes, right? Um, six years is nothing <laughs> in the great scheme of things. And so I ask myself, you know, when I think about this, as I think we all should every now and again, have I grown in my faith in the past six years? Do I know the Lord better than I did back then? Right? Have I done my best for Jesus in the past six years or the past two years or one year or six months? Have I done my best for Jesus? Why should we ask this? Well, you know, if you, if you never pause a little bit and just look back and evaluate your current position, then you won't be able to make any corrections, right, to where you are going. And that's, that's what, what, what we want to do. And so if you don't do that, another month will pass, another year will pass, another six years, another decade, and it will just go on and on like that. And if you don't make any corrections, you might come to the end of your life and step into the next and be extremely disappointed when you stand in front of the Lord with just no fruit to give Him. That's why we want to do this. You know, nobody wants that. <laughs> Nobody wants to stand before him empty-handed. You know, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, I believe that you will want to live a victorious Christian life. A life where you are overcoming sin, a life where you are fixing your relationships, where you are reaching out to others and to be a shining light of the gospel of Christ. That's, that's what you will want to do. You know, a life where you don't have to be ashamed when you finally stand before our Lord. You don't want that. And so that's the kind of advice that Peter is giving us here in chapter 5. 
some very practical principles for living a victorious Christian life. That's what we're seeing here. Now, just to establish the context again, and I won't go into detail on all these things. If you want the detail, you can listen to the previous lessons. Um, But he started this chapter off in the first four verses by giving some specific instruction to pastors. And then in verse 5, he instructs all of us to submit to the pastor. So that's the first principle for a victorious Christian life. It is submission. And then in the same verse, then in verse 5, he says that we should be clothed with humility. In verse 6, he continues that thought and he says that we should humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. All right? So that's the second principle. It's humility. Living with humility. In verse 7, it tells us that we can trust God. All right? And, and that's, the, that's the third principle that we see here. It is trusting in God. And I love the way that he puts it here. <laughs> right? Look at verse 7. He says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's amazing. You can trust him with all of your troubles. All of your troubles. All of your cares. You can just throw them, all of them, <laughs> on the Lord. Isn't that amazing? What amazing grace is that, right? You can simply just throw your cares on him because he cares for you and he will carry your burdens with you and for you. Last time we looked at verse 8 and 9 and we saw the principles of vigilance and of steadfastness. And he said that we should be vigilant, so that is we should watch out. Watch out. We should be awake because our adversary, the devil, is walking around like a hungry lion and he's looking to see who, he's, uh, who he can devour, right? Who he can just eat up, <laughs> right? And he will devour those that are not vigilant. He will do that. Um, you know, those people that are not standing strong in the faith, because that is how we resist him in the end, right? That's what we saw in verse 9, is you resist the devil by standing firm in the faith. So if you're not standing firm in the faith, you won't be able to resist him. Now, realize I'm not saying standing firm in your faith, the faith. You know, Brother Garrett actually taught a lesson on that a few months ago. It is the faith once and for all delivered unto us, Right? We should stand firm in that. And we can do that. We can resist him all while knowing, Peter says in verse 9, that we are not alone. We are not alone. Our fellow brothers and sisters in this world are also being attacked by our enemy. And they are tempted. They are afflicted by him. And so we are not alone. And that's the next principle for living a victorious Christian life. It is having sympathy. It's sympathy. As believers, we can sympathize with each other because we are all being attacked by the same enemy and by his tricks and, and whatever, whatever else. So we can help each other and we can pray for each other. We can sympathize. We will never, folks, run out of things to help each other with or to pray for each other for. You just won't. All right? Not in this life. <laughs> all right? Because we know that this life is full of trouble, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, in this life, or in the world, ye shall have tribulation. Tribulation is trouble, right? So you will have trouble, and I don't even have to tell you this, because, well, we all see that every day. There's just trouble wherever you go. Some of us have more trouble than others, that's true. Some people's trouble is more extreme than others, or more intense than others. 
uh, in the case of the audience that Peter originally wrote this epistle to, I mean, they were going through some terribly violent persecution. We're not seeing that, not here, right? So it, it's a different kind of trouble, but it is trouble nonetheless, trouble from the enemy. And, but so those people could sympathize with each other because they were all feeling the same heat. And so we can also sympathize with each other um, as well. And, and so then we come to verse 10, which we're going to start today. And Peter gives us the next principle, which is hope. Hope, right? Verse 10. But the God of all grace... <laughs> who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Isn't that a great thought? (laughs) That the God of all grace called us to his eternal glory, and he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. What a thought. That's a huge thought. (laughs) Now, this is just one of the many names that we find for God in the Bible, or, or, right? Uh, in Second uh, Corinthians 13, verse 11, Paul calls him the God of love and peace. In Romans 15, verse 13, he calls him the God of hope. And he says the following, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. In Second Corinthians 1, verse 3, he is called the God of all comfort. And so he writes there, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's a lot of comfort in that verse, right? (laughs) You kind of have to keep your ducks straight there. But the the point is this, uh, and it points us back to um, 1 Peter 5 and verse 9 is that we are able to comfort others because God is first comforting us. And we can apply that same comfort that we are getting from Him uh, to others. We can pass it on to them and comfort them with that same type of comfort. Now, all of these names, the God of comfort, the God of hope, the God of love and peace, tell us something about God. It gives us one of His characteristics. They tell tell us what He is like and how we can relate to Him. And we read in Exodus 34 how God commanded Moses to make a second set of tablets. You remember he broke the first set of tablets after he came down Mount Zion and he saw the nation of Israel dancing around the golden calf. You remember that whole story. And so God commanded him to make a second set and then take it back up the mountain. So that's what he did. He went back up the mountain and the Lord came down in a cloud. All right? And he, he, he proclaimed his name there, the Bible says. And there in verse 6, he said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. So there we get some... some more about God, about who He is and what He is like. And all of this works perfectly with what Peter calls here, he calls Him the God of all grace, right? Now, this grace is extended to us, as we know, in in the salvation that we get through Christ, right? But that grace is only extended to you if you actually go to Christ to be saved. But we wouldn't expect anything less from God, right, to stay consistent in that way. 
Because he's always consistent in himself. He, he never changes. His character never changes. He's not like us. You know, one day we stand up, we have a bad day, and we just got out of bed with the wrong foot, you know, and we're just grumpy. God is not like that. Right? He never changes. He's always consistent. He's always merciful. He's always gracious. He's always full of goodness and truth and righteousness. And he's always just. Always. Always. And that's, that's why he will be just in punishing the wicked you know, when they die, when anybody dies in their sins and they go to the lake of fire. God is just in doing that. That is the just punishment for sinning against an almighty God. Now, like I said, when we think about God's grace, I think it's only natural to think about the grace that is extended towards us in salvation. Right? That's the grace of God that we receive by faith in his Son. Now, not all of us has received that yet, but folks, that's amazing grace. <laughs> that is amazing grace. For him to send his own son to die on our behalf so that we can be set free, wow. But that's not all that there is to God's grace. Right? Now, when I say that, it sounds like I'm sort of diminishing the grace. I'm not. Right? It actually extends further than your salvation. It just goes much further than that. He saves us, yes. He washes us from our sins. He keeps us saved. He gives us eternal life. And on top of that, He gives us an inheritance. Look at uh, chapter 1 again, in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. I love the way that Peter starts off this letter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a living hope, folks. We have a living hope because Christ has raised from the dead. <laughs> he is alive right now. And our hope is in Him. Our hope is this. We can count on God. That's it. We can count on Him. We can trust Him. We can count on Him that He will do what He said He will do. We have a hope on an inheritance that is reserved for each of us in heaven, as Peter says here. And folks, when we talk about hope, and when the Bible talks about hope, it's not this kind of airy-fairy, when you wish upon a star, you know, that kind of hope. You know, the way that we use the word hope, you know, we will say, well, I really hope it rains soon. Now, that's, that's kind of a wish that you're expressing. I, I want this to happen. All right? That's, that's not the way that the Bible uses it. In fact, if you look up the word in a dictionary, as I did, you will see that they say there that the archaic um, use of the word, or the old use of this word, speaks about a feeling of trust. <laughs> That's what hope is. That's exactly what the Bible means, is that we trust in God. And we trust Him to save us. We trust Him to keep us safe and to keep His promises. We trust Him. That is the hope that we have. You know, the hope of the world and the hope of other religions is the same kind of hope that you have, you know, when you, when you call out heads when, when there's a coin toss, right? And you, and you hope or you wish it will land on heads. That's the kind of hope that they provide. That's not the kind of hope that we have in God. We trust Him, right? Because there's nobody more trustworthy than Him. 
But we need to recognize that God's grace is not something that we need to wait for. You have access to that right now. Like, right now. (laughs) It's not just a promise, you know, for one day when we leave this earth. That's what I'm trying to say, all right? We can have it right now. And it extends this grace in so many ways to us. You know, one of the ways is mentioned here in um, verse 5, where he says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So while we are sinning on a daily basis, while we are making our bad choices, and all of those things, he's still keeping us saved. He keeps us saved. It is him doing that. It's not us. Folks, if you are anything like me, and, and, you, and you had to keep your own salvation, it wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes. Right? You would have lost it like this. And that's why I'm not trusting in myself to keep me saved. I'm trusting in Him, in God, to keep me saved. Right? And that's what He says in His Word we can do. He keeps us saved. So we can come back to chapter 5. And as Peter says here in verse 10, he says that the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. He says that God will use every believer's suffering in this life to mold them, to shape them into the image of Christ. That is the process of sanctification, right? To make you whole again, to to fix you up, right? It's a process that every believer is going through on a daily basis. God is performing this work as we go along. It's, It's a work that starts the moment of salvation, And it ends that very moment that God calls us up, when the Lord comes to fetch us. That's when this process ends. You know, Paul said it nicely in Philippians 1 verse 6. He said that we are confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what I just said. Right? The day of Jesus Christ is the day when he comes to fetch us. So he will continuously work in us and perform this work, and so we can trust Him for that as well. We can trust Him. We trust Him that He is there in our suffering, in our trouble, and that He uses it to make us more into the image of His Son. Now, the words that that Peter uses here to describe the sanctification are all very, very similar. He says that God will perfect us So that speaks of completeness or wholeness, right? So currently you are not that, all right? But he will do that. He's doing that in you, right? He's fixing you up. It's like a renovation job, all right? He's renovating you. He says he will establish us. So that means that he will establish us in the faith so that we can have that steadfastness to resist the devil, um, for one. He says God will strengthen us. He will make us strong, not physically strong, He'll make you spiritually strong, right? He says that God will settle us. That means He's laying you as a foundation, right? He's settling you like that, all right? And all of them, all of those terms are referring to God making us stronger through our suffering. He's doing that work. And then Peter gives us some perspective here in this verse. He says 
but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So after you have suffered a while, God will do all of these things. And that is something I think that we really need the right perspective on. Right? Because it doesn't matter what kind of suffering you are going through. It doesn't matter how tough it is or how long it is going on. When you put that into perspective of eternity, it's really just a little while. It really is. So that means that there is an end to the suffering. You see that? That's where the hope comes in. There's an end to all of that suffering. It does not go on forever. Yes, right now it is feeling like it's going to go on forever. It's just a little while. Keep the right perspective in mind. Some days may seem very long, but as you are going through it, God is making you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That is what he is doing. And that gives us hope, folks. Because now I can trust God in my suffering. I can trust him that he's there with me and that he's making me into something better through this. And that it is with that thought that, that Peter just bursts into praise. Look at verse 11. He says, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> You know, he made a similar exclamation in in chapter 4, verse 11, incidentally, where he said that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Peter is just overwhelmed, you know, by this thought that God is calling us to his eternal glory. Calling us (laughs) to his glory. He's sanctifying us through our sufferings that we are going through in this life. And so along with with the other principles of living a victorious Christian life, this principle that we see here is worship. It's worship. If you want to live a victorious Christian life, your heart should be filled with worship. Now we know that we should worship God. I mean, that's obvious. That's obvious because He's God and we are not. So obvious we should. But what we can see here is that when we meditate on the things of God, when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, as Peter said here, when we cast all of our cares on him because we know that he cares for us, when we fight the spiritual battle in his strength, because ultimately he's the only one that can defeat the devil, isn't he? Right? So we fight the spiritual battle in his strength, and while we are fighting, we know and we trust him that he is perfecting us through this. He's he's forming us into the image of Christ, When we keep all of that in mind, what else can we do than simply worship Him? That is how you fill your heart with worship. That's how you can echo the words of Peter here that says, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's how you can do that. And when you're worshipping Him, you know, the, the troubles of this world suddenly don't seem so big anymore, do they? even though you're going through some rough things. I mean, objectively speaking, it's rough, right? They, 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 they suddenly start to lose their size, you know. The, the giant shrinks a little bit. You know, when we humble ourselves and do all of these things and we fill our heart with worship, that, that is what we then see. Isn't that the song that we sing? You know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow 
strangely dim. What are those things? You know, I think normally we think those are the temptations. You know, the things like money and fame and the stuff that everybody wants. Yeah, sure, they will grow strangely dim. But it's even the sufferings, even the troubles. If you look on his face, those things will lose their shine. They will grow strangely dim in the, in the, in the light of his glory and grace, the song says. And I've, I've often wondered how these Christian martyrs, brother, like you told us about last week, you know, how, how they went through these things. Um, and, and they're tortured and they're going through these trials and they, they die for their faith, but they do it with a smile and they do it with this utmost peace, you know. And we read about Stephen being stoned and his face is just shining. How do they do that? How? <laughs> well, this is why. Their hearts are filled with worship and they have their full trust on God. That's how. That's the key. That's the key. Because he has dominion forever and ever. Right? What I love about this is that um, this is exactly how Peter starts off this epistle. He starts it off by praising God. We read it in in chapter 1 and verse 3. And now he ends off this epistle by praising God. And every now and again in this epistle, he turns our eyes back to Jesus. You remember I pointed it out as we went through these lessons. Every single time he, he handles a topic and he says, but look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. That's what we should be doing. We should be looking at Jesus. That then brings us to the final notes that Peter has here in verse, verse 12. Let's read verse 12. He says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose... I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. So let me just address one thing first here. We see there by Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose. He's not like, okay, I suppose he's faithful. Okay, he's not like that. (laughs) I regard him as faithful. That's that's what he's saying there. All right, so as far as I could see, uh, Sylvanus is another name for Silas. And this is probably the same Silas that traveled with Paul. All right? And Paul often, often actually mentions Silas in his epistles. Now, he was most likely Peter's secretary, it seems, for this letter. So what they would do that, uh, uh, in this time is that the author of the letter would dictate um, what he wanted to say, and then the secretary would sit down and he would actually hold the pen and write, write down the words as the author is saying them. Right? And that's, that's the photocopying machine of this day, or the what, Google speech, whatever you call it. All right? That's... <laughs> That's, so it started back then. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and then it, um, Silas might, might even have been the messenger that carried this message to the church. All right? um, either or, all right, but, but it definitely looks like it's the same Silas. But what is great about this is that Peter specifically mentions his faithfulness. And then that's our next principle for living a victorious Christian life. It's being faithful. It's faithfulness. You know, I don't think that we can overstate how important this point is, to stay faithful. Silas was a great example of faithfulness, of both the truth of the gospel and to the church. And it is this faithfulness that we all need to cultivate in our lives. If we want to live victoriously, all right, we need to cultivate this thing. I believe that faithfulness starts with recognizing exactly who God is. By getting to know Him. By getting to know Him through His Word, through His Spirit. And then making a sincere effort 
to apply those things or these principles that we've seen in this chapter, applying the other things that we learn from his word, actually applying that in our lives, that is going to help us be faithful. We should make it a part of our lives. You see, if you fear God and you love your neighbor, well then faithfulness is just going to follow naturally. That's, that's just how it works. So Peter says that Sylvanus was a faithful brother to the church, but he was also faithful to Peter, all right? He says that. I, I regard him as faithful. But many, many of us, you know, when we think about faithfulness, we think, well, I'd like to be faithful, but I, I don't have anything to offer. But what, what can I give God, all right? I, I'm not like this person that's so talented or that person that's a great speaker or, or whatever. I, I, I'm none of that. Yeah, Moses, I hear you, all right? You remember what Moses did, right? God told Moses, Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him to let my people go. And Moses said, uh, Lord, we have a problem. <laughs> I don't speak that well, right? I'm a bad speaker. And God said, well, no problem. I will give you exactly what you need. I'll send your brother Aaron with you and he can speak on your behalf. Now go. <laughs> Just get the job done, Right? Now think about this. What did Sylvanus do here? What did we do? We, we don't read anything else. We just read that he wrote this letter. He was the guy holding the pen. That's what he did. <laughs> he held the pen and he went off and he delivered the letter to the church. Anybody can do that. Really, anybody can do that. In those days, it was a little bit harder. Not everybody could write. Sure. But really, anybody can deliver a letter. Right? That, but that doesn't seem all that important, does it? Just writing down the words, <laughs> delivering a letter, really? Is that important? Is that what God wants me to do? <laughs> but you see, the thing is this. It's not just the super gifted people, you know? In our eyes, we see these people and think, oh man, they're super gifted, you know? And these are the people that God chose. It's not only them that can do something for God. It's not. It doesn't have to look flashy, folks. It doesn't have to look important in our eyes for it to count um, in the end. Sylvanus was simply willing to do what had to be done. That's it. He was there. He said, what can I do? Peter said, well, I need somebody to write for me. Well, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll be there. That's the faithfulness. It's just getting the job done looking for something and just doing it. If it's mopping the floor, go mop the floor. It doesn't look that important. I know. Somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to mop the floor. Whatever it is, folks, just get the job done. Can you hold a pen? Can you deliver a message? Just God help us be faithful. Yeah. Peter says here, I've written... Briefly, and that's true, you know, it's just five short chapters. It took us a while to go through it, through. Um, it was just every, so often. But man, wasn't it rich? There's so much in here. It, 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 we see the richness of the word of the Lord every week. Every week, let's not grow numb to it. He says, I, I wrote exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. And amen, he did. Right. Oh, wow. He, he wrote about God's saving grace. He wrote about God's glorifying grace. His sanctifying grace. His grace just in everyday things. 
We found that all throughout this letter. You know, Paul wrote in, in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a, a lesson about salvation at all, but, folks, that's how you get justified. If you're not right with God, it's by faith through Christ. That's the only way. He says there in Romans 5, verse 2, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen. Amen. You know, we can rejoice about the grace in which we are standing right now. That should stir up some joy in your heart because this is a marvelous grace, folks. Oh, it's amazing. Look at verse 13. He says, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. I've read... Two differing opinions. Oh, well, let's get verse 14, sorry. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, what I wanted to say is I, I read two differing opinions about who this church at Babylon is. Uh, on the one hand, it can literally be the church at Babylon in, in Assyria, right? Um, that was apparently a capital of the dispersion of the Jews, so we know that Peter was the apostle to the circumcision or to the Jews, so it would make sense for him to be there and you know, sort of writing his letters from there. So that's a possibility. The other theory, which I think might be much more likely in this instance, is that Babylon is actually, well, the church at Babylon is actually the church at Rome. All right? And that would line up with what we get in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, um, where... Babylon is sort of a code word for Rome, <laughs> all right, if I can put it like that. Uh, the idea is here yeah, that the church was going through some terrible persecution, and we've spoken about that quite a lot uh, throughout our study. So they were going through this um, uh, persecution, and so anybody that would write a letter would, would sort of use this veiled language when it, when it comes to places and people, and, and so... Um, they would call it Babylon. The church would understand that it's coming from Rome, but now the church in Rome isn't in danger because of the letter. That's, that's sort of the idea. I think that makes sense. But what, whatever it is, this church sent their greetings, and, and also Marcus sent his greetings. Marcus is um, most probably John Mark. And what we have here is we have an expression of love between believers. Right? from one church to another, from Mark and, of course, from Peter to the churches that they're writing to, all the believers, the scattered believers, as we read in chapter 1 and verse 1. And he sends it off there in verse 14 by saying, or he ends it off, rather, um, by saying, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Now, that's something that we find often in, in the New Testament, right? Greet each other with a holy kiss or something like that. And that, that was a culturally appropriate way of showing your affection for somebody else. And it, was, it, um, it was mostly men to men, women to women. You know, that, it, it was just what they did. I know it seems strange to us. Please don't come up and kiss me this morning. All right? <laughs> That's not what we do. That's not us. These days we would say, well, give each other a hearty hug or a nice handshake. Right? That's, that's what we would say. In other words, just greet each other warmly and with genuine affection. Not fake affection, right? It's amazing how much, folks, a good, firm, affectionate handshake can go. Or a hug if you're so inclined, right? Oh, man. 
It's so encouraging, right? And it is here that we find our final principle from this chapter, and that is love for the church. Love for the church. If you want to live a victorious Christian life, love the church. And I'm not only talking about Bible Baptist Church, right? We're talking about the church of Christ, the global church, all right? Everybody that's saved, all right? We should love each other. Uh, there are believers in other places, in other churches, people we don't know yet. And, and we've seen that, actually. We've seen that love being expressed. You know, whenever we get visitors from out of town or from another country, they come here and they always say, wow, how much love everybody has expressed to them, you know, and how well they've been treated and all of that. And that, That's the kind of thing we should do, and we should do with each other as well, right? It's just to love each other. We are called to that. Jesus said in John 13, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's how we prove that we are his disciples. You see, we are the physical representation of Christ on this earth right now. That's what we are. And so we are expected to love each other. People just instinctively know that, well, Christians should love each other because they are of Christ. They just know that, even if they don't believe in him. But I also believe that the Lord himself is the one working that love in our hearts that we have for each other. It's definitely, right, because there's that bond from, from him. And then Peter ends off here. He says, Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So that's it. We have ten principles. Ten principles here of living a victorious Christian life. Submission, humility, trust in God, vigilance, steadfastness, Sympathy, hope, worship, faithfulness, and love in the church. What do we do with this? Well, we start applying. We pray to God and we ask Him to help us apply this. So let's do that. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we thank you for giving us your word again, Lord. And, and, and we thank you, Lord, that oh, you've really given us everything we need for this life. Please help us to apply these things that we learn. Lord, if you've, if you've pointed to something in our lives or pointed to something in our hearts, help us not to forget. Don't let the enemy come and steal it away. Lord, please help us to deal with it, to do something about it, to do what you want us to do. Lord, help us to grow in these principles. Help us to live those victorious Christian lives, Lord, that you've bought for us. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We thank you for being with us. We ask that you will please bless the rest of the day and bless the fellowship. Thank you for all that you do and for being with us. Amen.